0: I want to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Matthew's Gospel, chapter 23. The Gospel of Matthew, we're going to stand as we open the Word of God together, but Matthew's Gospel, chapter 23. And I want us to look down at verses 37 through 39. That will be our text for this morning. It says, Jerusalem, and this is Jesus, by the way, lamenting before his death, as he looked back after a visit into the city, looking back over the city from the Mount of Olives, he says in verse 37, Jerusalem's Jerusalem, the city who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together. As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, yet you were not willing. See, your house is left desolate, For I tell you, you will never see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that we have the freedom to stand on today. And I pray that we would not take it for granted. And I pray that you would send us a great spirit of revival in our land to draw us back to you and your word as a nation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. We begin after reading a text like this by saying I have no intention whatsoever of trying to equate the United States in God's purpose and plan and in history as being the same that Israel has been and I believe continues to be, nor do I want to take a verse out of context but instead discover some principles within the context of what it means to be broken over a people group, broken over a nation. In Second Timothy chapter three and verse 16, we're told that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And so we want to learn those principles from our very Lord and from His word that would profit us as individual Christians, as families, and certainly as churches and as a nation today. As Jesus is looking back over the city of Jerusalem, he knew that the kingdom of God was so much bigger than Israel, but he was still broken over Israel. He came into his own, John 1 11 says, his own received him not, and it broke his heart. In The same way the Apostle Paul, knowing that Israel's rejection would lead to the gospel being expedited when it comes to getting it to the Gentile nations, and all that being part of God's sovereign plan, he was still broken over the lostness of his own home group, his own people there in Israel. He was brokenhearted to the point that he said, if I could, I would become accursed. I would literally become condemned to hell myself if the people of Israel would only open their eyes and not reject Jesus Christ. And so I think we learn from Scripture a heart that we're to have perhaps even for our own Judea. Acts 1.8, you shall... Receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea. Our Jerusalem might be right here in northeast Georgia. Our Judea perhaps is our nation today. And then to Samaria, people that aren't like us, and then the uttermost parts of the world. Some of my colleagues today, some of my friends, are beginning to question whether we should even have services like this. I even read recently that uh, patriotism is one of the sins that we kind of accept as a church. And my response to that would be, it depends on how you define patriotism. And what we're promoting this morning and what I promote with my life is not some kind of blind religious nationalism to where we worship our nation or to where we think that uh, God owes us something as a nation or to where we would even think that anything that comes out of Washington, D.C. is inerrant. We know that that is not the case whatsoever. At the same time, we know the Scriptures admonish us to pray for our nation. Our, the Scriptures tell us to be responsible citizens in whatever nation we find ourselves, under whatever government we find ourselves. The Bible tells us that those government officials that look out for us, interestingly, uh, it even says that those Uh, Roman law enforcement officers in the first century many that would have Christians arrested they were like guardian angels to many of the Christians that were living right and being protected I don't know uh Mark if anybody's ever called y'all guardian angel but anyway that's that's what uh what we're told about the public servants those officials in that time and so that we should be praying for them. The Bible tells us that we should be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And so in my definition of patriotism, that's what it's all about, praying for our nation, giving honor to whom honor is due when it is due, standing for those things that are noble and applauding when our government embraces things that are noble, but also warning them biblically when they embrace things that are ignoble and unrighteous and ungodly and bring the judgment of God. To me, that is patriotism. And in the cases that I'll refer to in a moment, even civil disobedience can be a patriotic duty. You know, the past six months, America has already lost some legends this year. Every year, you know, at the end of the year, you look back and you see some famous people who went to be with the Lord from a nation, but it seems like this year a lot of legends have already stepped into eternity. We might recall at the beginning of the year, people like Natalie Cole more recently Though I do not consider his behavior patriotic at all, uh, Muhammad Ali, one of the most famous Americans, has stepped into eternity. David Bowie, the rocker, is in eternity. Dan Haggerty, some of you are like, who is he and is he a hero? Grizzly Adam fans? uh, You know, I want Dan Haggerty, stepped into eternity already this year. Any Black Jack Mulligan fans, wrestling fans? Black Jack Mulligan Stepped into eternity, and then uh, most recently we've seen in the news uh, legendary basketball coach, women's basketball coach Pat Summit, has stepped into eternity. But one that uh, left us some words of prophet. Many times in his lifestyle, we would not have considered him a prophet whatsoever. But but the lyrics to the so- songs of a particular songwriter and country music singer. I have to admit, have come to my mind a lot lately. I heard these, song, these, these lyrics as a child growing up here in Madison County, Georgia, and at that time, I thought, what in the world is he talking about? And today, these lyrics are, are coming back to me, and I, and I heard the song again because of the death of country music singer Merle Haggard, who was a, a star to many folks around here, I'm sure. And certainly, he was not always God-glorifying, born out of the Great Depression and Uh, at a young age, robbed a roadhouse, spent some time in San Quentin prison, but began to sing songs that uh, the typical American working man could identify with especially. Remember these lyrics? See if they sound like they could have been written 40 years later. He says, I wish a buck was still silver. It was back when the country was strong, back before Elvis, before the Vietnam War came along, before the Beatles and yesterday, when a man could still work, and still would, and the best of the free life behind us now are the good times really over for good. Then he asked the question, are we rolling downhill like a snowball headed for hell? And I use that in the most biblically literate fashion there. With no kind of chance for the flag or the liberty bell wish a Ford and a Chevy could still last 10 years like they should. Then he asked the question this time. We begged the question this morning. Is the best of the free life behind us now? It might be. Are the good times really over for good? Now, based on an interview with Merle Haggard, the good times weren't always so good for everybody, and he understood that, and, and he saw that a lot of bad times had been experienced in his life because of some bad choices that he had made. He wasn't always putting together those little gospel albums that we like to listen to from time to time. And while the glory of God and the propagation of the Christian faith was expressed in most of our state charters and is found in the framework uh, certainly of our Constitution, even written into the Bill of Rights itself, the Freedom Of religion. We ask ourselves today is the best of the free life behind us? As Christians, as Bible believing evangelicals, we we turn on the news and we ask is the best of the free life behind us now? Did we not take advantage of every opportunity? Is the heat going to be turned up like never before? Are the good times really over for good? Why is religious freedom so important? Why must we cease to take advantage of it and protect it with everything we have, and at the same time be willing to take a stamp of righteousness even if we lose it? I want to deal with that. From our text this morning, as you're looking back at this passage in Matthew chapter 23, I want us to make note of a couple of things. First of all, our freedom to embrace faith reinforces biblical teaching on what I call soul competency, free will, the ability to choose, freedom of religion. I believe was in our Constitution and in the framework of our Constitution because it was something that had been a part of the the very establishment of this nation as those who came here and founded this nation desired to have a free country where they could live and worship without government interference whatsoever. Our freedom to embrace faith reinforces biblical teaching on soul competency. Each human being is free and accountable to God for their choices when it comes to faith and practice. That's part of how God made us. So in verse 37, we see that the faith was not forced on Israel. Jesus didn't come the first time to overthrow all the government, to set up his own, his own theocracy in the land of Israel and say, you will bow to me today and you will follow me. No, he established a church age where we would have a choice to follow him. So the faith was not forced. Look again at verse 37. The second sentence there, he says, how I often long to gather you, to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. I wanted you close to me, Israel. I wanted to be your provider. I wanted to be your protector. And he says this, yet you were not willing. They were given a choice. They were given freedom. And with that freedom, at this point, by and large, not all Jews, but by and large, they were rejecting Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And he was brokenhearted over it. we see that Jesus has always worked that way. In Matthew chapter 19, a rich young ruler comes. And Jesus doesn't say to that rich young ruler, bow down and worship me now. At that point, Jesus invites him to just kind of, hey, go sell all you have, come follow me, give your life to me. And the rich young ruler went away sad, because he wasn't willing to let go of the things of this world. He wasn't willing to let go of his materialism. It wasn't that he could buy his way into heaven. It was that he needed to make Jesus Christ Lord of his life, and he wasn't willing to let go of the things of this world. And in our nation today, materialism is keeping so many from faith in Jesus Christ. And he went away sad. He had a choice. And he went away sad. Soul competency is part of how God created us. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, we were created in the image of God. Male and female created he them in his own image, the imago Dei. And part of the image of God means that we're not like all the other animals that are are completely enslaved by our instincts. God has given us a choice. God desires us to have a relationship with him. It would not be a relationship if he mandated that choice, but he's given us freedom. And he's given us soul competency so that in our spirit, in our soul, we can say yes to Jesus or we can say no. And freedom of religion best exemplifies what that's all about, where people have the freedom to come to Jesus by choice. In Genesis chapter 2 and in, in, in verse 17, he set those trees in the garden and said, You can eat from all the trees, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you can't eat of this tree. But Adam, you've got a choice. Eve, you've got a choice. And they use their freedom to violate what would have been the right choice and drawn them closer to Jesus or closer to the God, even there in the garden. In Joshua chapter 24 and verse 16, as Israel is now established in the promised land as a nation, truly supposed to be at this time uh, one nation under God, Joshua, even in that context, doesn't say now, you will, without choice, serve Yahweh God. No, in that verse, Joshua says, Choose you this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And if this nation's going to be great, it's going to take families that rise and stand. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. We will serve the one God true and living God in Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19 they were warned before they even went into the promised land by Moses uh, that God sets before them death and life and he said choose life embrace the best things that I have for you there and there will always be a tension in our nation between ethics and evangelism when it comes to the freedom of choice there to, to live for God or to be a nation that rejects God both on the family level both, and on the church, the, the state, you name it, on every level you can imagine, we will always have those choices there. We will always, even though the consequences may vary from time to time, and there will always be a tension there for the church between ethics and evangelism, and you say, well, why, why a tension between ethics and evangelism? Because so many times we're preaching so hard, hey, do right, live right, embrace these standards and these values, but the the Bible says that the person without having the, the, their carnal spirit regenerated doesn't have the ability. The righteous requirements of the law, Romans 8, 4, says uh, that w- we are fully met when we walk in the spirit and not according to the flesh. The carnal mind, Paul said, cannot discern the things of the spirit. And so we need to be praying for our nation to come to Jesus Christ. We need to be sharing the gospel first and foremost. More important than any other patriotic duty is that you witness to your friends and family members with the Gospel of Jesus Christ, because the ethical dilemma is that in the natural man they cannot live by biblical values they don 't have the power and the ability the, the the truth and the light that they need the, the dilemma there is often they do not see their need for christ they don 't understand their need for the gospel unless there is a Christian ethic unless there is a what Paul called the Ten Commandments or the Old Testament law, a schoolmaster before us to tell us, hey, you can't do this. You need salvation. You need life change. And so part of of embracing that freedom and that soul competency God's given us as a church means that, that our first duty to the United States of America is that of a missionary. Again, I've got friends and colleagues who would say you shouldn't have a service like this because it's promoting nationalism or the religious nationalism of worshiping a nation. but but I've been quick to point out in December every year when we get ready for our international missions offering, we will have flags all the way across, dozens of flags from nations that we've been in as a church. Those dozens of flags being displayed here do not serve in any way to communicate that as a church we have chosen to recognize the values of all of those nations. They serve in no way as a display of saying, uh, yes, all systems of government and religion are equally valuable. We don't believe that. Those flags serve as a reminder that as a church we are on a mission to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations. And I argued with one even this week that the fact that we have American flags in red, white, and blue displayed this morning does not mean that we embrace some kind of blind patriotism but that we're to be reminded that Christian patriots will be people who want to take the gospel to their nation and like Jesus will be brokenhearted for the lostness of our land. We may never have another devout Christian president. I don't know if that will ever happen again. But we have to ask the question, do they believe in religious freedom? Will who we vote for marginalize the church? Will they sell us out? I don't know what would happen if somebody told the President of the United States, the Super Bowl will not be in the United States of America unless you do what we tell you to do and come against religious freedom. But that certainly happens on a state level, does it not? And we're so quick to sell out on our religious freedom for materialism. And It should grieve the body of Christ for the lostness in our nation. You are competent. Now listen, competence means you have a choice. A lot of you have a job that you will get up and go to this week after you celebrate the 4th. Some of you may even have to work on the 4th. But most likely, your boss will not come to your house at 6.30 in the morning, unless you call the wife boss or something. But most likely, your boss will not come to your house at 6.30 in the morning and shake you and and stand there with a sword and say, you will get up and go to work right now. They won't do that. However, your boss, your employer, will say, if you don't show up for work on time, there are consequences. So you have freedom to say yes or no to going to work. But you don't get to choose the consequences, which leads us to our second point in this passage. Our failure to embrace biblical standards, even though we promote and propagate freedom as a church, because it aligns with Scripture, our failure to embrace biblical standards has serious consequences. Dr. Adrian Rogers has put it this way. You're free to choose. You're not free not to choose. (laughs) And you're not free to choose the consequences of your choice. Some of you learned that from your parents a long time ago. You're free to choose. You're not free not to choose, and you're not free to choose the consequences of your choice. America is still called a free country today, even though many of those freedoms are being jeopardized. We may have all kinds of choices we are free to choose. We're never free not to choose, and we're never free to choose the consequences of our choice. In verse 38, we see a reference to the fact Jesus was just there in Jerusalem, and then he says, see, your house is left desolate. I'm not there anymore, and when you see me coming again, at that time it's going to seem like it's too late. Again, John 1, 11, he came to his own, his own received him not, distinctly speaking to Israel. But I believe there's a principle behind the precept that says it's a sad thing when a people group rejects Jesus Christ, his standards, and his ways. And there are always consequences. In the Old Testament, we saw that there were consequences for all the nations, not just for Israel, when they rejected the light that they had of the gospel. Listen to these words in Psalm 2, verses 7 through 12. It says, rise up, Lord. Save me, my God. You strike I'm sorry, I'm in the, in the wrong chapter. Verse, uh, <laughs> chapter 2, I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. This is a messianic prophecy here concerning Christ. Today I become your father. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possessions. And you, by the way, this is not a missionary passage. This is a judgment passage. He says you will break them with a rod of iron. You will shatter them like pottery. So now, kings, be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of the earth, not just Israel, but all nations. Listen to the principles and precepts of God. God knows how life works and how government works at its best. And he says, listen, serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the Son, or he will be angry, and you will perish in your rebellion, for his anger may ignite at any moment. All those who take refuge in him are happy. So our nation, I believe, is in trouble today because we're no longer seeking to take refuge in Jesus. Jesus is here standing brokenhearted looking over Israel, over Jerusalem, over a people group that was rejecting him, over his own. Jesus loved his country, and he was broken for them, brokenhearted because of their rejection. And we see what happens when nations, you say, well, that's Old Testament. And the Psalms is speaking about living under law, not under grace. Listen to how Romans puts it in Romans chapter 1. And bear with me or follow along as I read this in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. And this may speak as loudly as anything else that I could say this morning. It says, for God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godliness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them from the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen. When we sing songs like America the Beautiful and God Bless America, we're saying we've seen the hand of God around us. His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense, and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over in the cravings of their hearts to sexual impurity. So their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the things created instead of the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. This is why God delivered them over to, listen to this, if this does not sound like the 21st century, I don't know what does. He says, this is why God delivered them over to degrade, degrading passions for even their females exchanged natural sexual intercourse for what is unnatural. The males in the same way also left natural sexual intercourse with the females and were inflamed in their lust for one another, males committed shameless act with males and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty for their perversion. And because they did not think it worthwhile to have God in their knowledge, God delivered them over to a worthless mind to do what is morally wrong. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, wickedness, they are full of envy, murder, disputes, deceit and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful, although they know full well God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. In my childhood and teen years, we laughed at those who practiced them on television in my 20s and 30s, we were asked to tolerate it. And now in my 40s, we're told we have to applaud it. That's where we have moved to as a nation. And God has called us to warn them, not out of hate, but out of love. That the consequences, that we lose the provision, we lose the protection, we lose the peace of God when we tolerate such behaviors Jesus was broken hearted Jesus says your land is desolate without me and God has called us to be and I appreciate all the first responders but God has called us as a nation many times to as Christians within this nation many times to be spiritual first responders saying even if this nation runs from God on the highway to hell When the wreckage begins to take place, as Christians, you come and you speak gospel and you rescue as many from the wreckage of civilization as you possibly can. We can reject Christ and his gospel. We are soul competent. We can reject Christ and his gospel, but when we refuse to embrace the gospel and when we reject biblical standards as a nation, we are not free to choose the consequences. God has already set those before us when we look at God's standard for marriage and sexuality, and we violate that, there are consequences. They're inescapable. When we look at the sanctity of life, and and we say, okay, we have the freedom to choose what we do with this life inside the womb. We might have that freedom, but we don't get to choose the consequences of broken hearts, broken lives, and even the loss of life. God's severe judgment on Israel, and even pagan nations. You go back and study this in the Old Testament, from especially from Genesis 19 on. There were two areas where God says, okay, your depravity and your rejection of me has sinked so low that you are really inviting some of the worst judgment. Those two areas, child sacrifice, when, when it became uh, apparent that the people of Israel were, were even allowing the, their children to die for the sake of, Worshipping pagan gods and the other was sexual perversion when any time someone violated God's standard of one man For one woman in the context and, and bonds of marriage when that was violated the judgment of God was sure to come We're called to speak the gospel with broken hearts but We're also to herald a warning that our failure to embrace biblical standards has serious Serious consequences and finally and I think this is where we have to be ready as a church. And and it gives me no great joy to say this today, that we have to be ready to understand that our faithfulness to biblical values lead to suffering conflict. The the suffering of conflict is something we have to be prepared for like never before. Let's go back, And, and the last part of this passage I want us to see before we close is Jesus crying, verse 37 again, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. We're called to be salt and light to this nation, but you will likely not be applauded any longer in this nation for bringing the love of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who desperately need to hear it. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12 says, In fact, anyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus shall be persecuted. And we've got to be prepared for persecution. You said, wait a minute, didn't you talk about peace and provision and protection? Jesus said, In John 16 and verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. You say, where's the peace? Peace is when you lay your head on your pillow at night, whether it be in your home or one day, whether it be under penalty even in a prison cell for preaching the gospel. Peace is knowing your heart is right with God. And when you step into eternity, you'll be in his presence. Jesus said, be of courage I have conquered this world. See, conflict can lead us to a couple of extremes as a church. We've got to be careful of this as well. One extreme would be anarchy. Jesus avoided his disciples to not embrace anarchy, living without respect, just saying, we're going to go to war with our land. That's not what we're told to do. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, uh, spiritual forces of wickedness in high places. We're to go to war on our knees against the spiritual enemies. So anarchy is one extreme. The other extreme is is apathy or blind patriotism, and just ignoring that there's a problem. I believe Christian civil disobedience calls us to take a stand for things that aren't popular and suffer the consequences. Some have even argued that there's no such thing as Christian civil disobedience. What I'm talking about is like in Daniel chapter 3, when Daniel's three friends said everybody else may bow to Nebuchadnezzar, but we will not bow. We, if we are told to do something that is in direct violation of Scripture, there are times like in Acts chapter 5, we have to do what Peter and John did, suffer the consequences willingly without fighting, but at the same time make the statement we have to obey God rather than man. Daniel himself found that to be true when he was told not to pray. Found himself in the den of lions, and God was able to protect him. And you say, well, that's wonderful, man. We just stand for God, and he's got our back. But he may get our back in a way that we didn't plan on. Remember Stephen? Stephen spoke the gospel, and it cut to the heart, and they picked up stones. They began to stone him to death. And when they began to stone Stephen to death, he had a vision. He said, I can see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father everywhere else. In the New Testament, when we see after Jesus has ascended and been glorified, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, meaning his work is done, has been completed. But when Stephen is taking a stand for Jesus, Jesus is standing with Stephen, and even though his body physically died, he stepped right into the arms of Jesus at that moment. And I believe we need Stephens in our world today who will say, I will stand on the Word of God, and I will stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ, come what may. I'll take whatever consequences come my way. Our faithfulness to biblical values leads to suffering conflict. There are unfortunate consequences that come, and we've got to be willing to embrace that for the cause of the gospel. Michael Sadler was a Benedictine monk back at the end of the 1400s. He was born in 1490, and in the beginning of the 1500s, he was a monk. And he began to read The book of Romans, like some of our reformers in in the Reformation, had a big influence, but he thought the reformers wasn't going quite far enough. See, Michael Sattler believed in soul competency. He married a former former nun named Margarita. And he said, you know, I believe, and and, by the way, Baptists owe a lot to the Sattlers for their stand that they took. But he said, I believe that in soul competency that a person, when they come to an age where they can understand right and wrong and understand the gospel, they have to choose to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he said, I will not baptize anyone until they do put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's their choice. He believed in that soul competency. And when people would put their faith in Jesus Christ, he said baptism became a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And he began to stand even more um, on what I would call biblically solid ground than a lot of the other reformers. They, they called these group of Anabaptists the radicals. They weren't just reformers, they were radical reformers. And as a result of it, while Luther and Zwingli and others were able to escape execution, Michael Sattler was condemned to death because of his radical stand on the Word of God. And, and his sentence to be executed read this way says Michael Sattler shall be committed to the executioner. The latter shall take him to the square, and there first cut out his tongue. And then forge him fast to the wagon, and there, with glowing iron tongs, twice tear pieces from his body, and then on the way to the site of execution, five times more as above, and then burn his body to powder as an arch heretic. Many other radicals in this group were executed. Michael Sattler's own wife, Margarita, was taken and said, you want to be baptized as an adult? And they drowned her there in the river next to where he was executed with many other women, children, that were part of this group known as the, the radicals. You think the world doesn't want to cut out the tongues of gospel preachers today? We're getting closer and closer those who would stand for you say, Well, how do they do that? It may not be literal yet. I mean, it may be that they try to say you're going to lose tax exempt status. It, it may be that you're going to be penalized. Maybe that you're going to be put in jail for hate crimes. It may be that we're going to shut your business down. It may be that somebody's going to sue you for preaching the gospel or teaching biblical standards. It's happening all over our nation today, and it's getting worse. Whatever America decides, As a church and as a pastor, we choose to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ without apology. We stand on it, come what may. Whatever they decide about God's standards, the sanctity of life, marriage being a sacred union between a man and a woman, or the very fact that God created them from the beginning, male and female, and that there is a difference. When we stand on biblical principles, we will suffer persecution, but whatever America decides, the kingdom of God will go on. Whatever America decides... The word of God will stand forever. And one day we can be absolutely assured of this. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And only those who have put their faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross. See, we're free. We're free. to we, we, we have soul competency this morning. We have a will. We can choose to accept or reject what Christ did for us on the cross. He paid for our sins. He died. He was buried in a grave. And he rose again on the third day. And when he comes again, he's coming to judge the living and the dead. And if we put our faith and trust in him, we'll spend eternity. And no matter what kind of persecution the world pours out on us as Christians, and even what this nation may decide to pour out on us one day, we can be confident that we'll step into the presence of a living Lord when he calls us home. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?